Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Okay, so this morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 11. It's the last book of the Bible, easy to find. Revelation chapter 11. And the last message we spoke about the, uh, the little book, right, that is, is opened up and, you know, I think one of the most powerful parts of this, and we see this with the prophet Ezekiel, is that the Lord asked him to, you know, to put the word of God in his mouth and it tasted sweet. Um, John does the same thing, but for John, unfortunately, by the time it gets to his stomach, it becomes bitter. And when we look at the word of God, um, one thing that COVID might have done is take away some of the entertainment aspect of cultural Christianity, which is a good thing. You know, there were situations where Christians were there. They were with the culture. They went from one concert, one Christian concert to another, you know, this pastor, that pastor. But the word never they was sweet in their mouth, but it never actually was assimilated. They never actually took it and did something with it. So that's one of the most powerful things about Christianity is when the Lord speaks to you through his word and you say, oh, sacrifice. Oh, I have to change. Oh, that part of the scripture convicted me. So really, really powerful message last Sunday. So this morning we're going to move to chapter 11, which is the, um, the two witnesses and the third temple. This is, and I'm just, I've been praying a lot because it's very cerebral. So I hope you had your B-complex this morning and whatever it is to get your brain in gear because we're going to be going to the Temple Mount, um, not literally, but we're going to talk about what it looks like today, how things are going to change in the future. And this is interesting because it's, especially for the skeptic, the skeptic watching remotely, by the end of today's sermon, if you are a skeptic, I believe that... You may not admit it, but I'm going, to, I'm going to change your perspective on the Bible. The idea that the Bible's fairy tale, the idea that the Bible's simple. When you see the meat that we're going to cover today and you digest it, turn on your television, watch what's going on in the world, and then watch what the Bible says about what's going to happen, which was prophesied some 2,000 years ago. Technology that didn't exist back then. This is In this church, we don't want to entertain you. We want you to grow. We want you to learn. We want you to know what, why you believe what you believe. And you're going to see a parallel. You know, starting in chapter 11 over the next few months, we're going to see world events. And we're going to see how they line up with what the scripture predicted 2,000 years ago and beyond. So allow me to you know, do this and, and see how it works out. We're going to check it out in five parts. So chapter 11... Verse 1, it says, so the Apostle John says, Then I was given a reed, which was a, a, a measuring device, right? A reed like a measuring rod. And the angel sit, stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So John sees a vision of this temple. At the time Revelation was written, the temple was gone. And we'll talk about that. So one out of five is the third or the tribulation temple. What is the temple? So let me go through this briefly. If you're new, please see me after service. Send me an email. Let's talk because I really want you to understand this. But for the sake of time... Moses was instructed the tabernacle was more of a portable temple. When the temple was built in Jerusalem, it was, a, it was a foundation, it was solid, it was a permanent structure. And it was a place where in the Holy of Holies, the blood of the sacrifice was spilled over the uh, mercy seat where God said he would physically reside. And you see the prophetic books, they actually saw his Shekinah glory. You know, God is omnipresent, he's everywhere. But he also basically told them that a physical portion of him would dwell and they could actually see his glory come into the temple and leave the temple. 
when the priest dedicated it, there was so much smoke that the priest had to, had to go out. It was, they were just seeing these supernatural things. But the temple was there. God said he would be with his people, but also he also made a, a remedy for, for the sacrifice of sins. And it was temporary until Christ. So that's the temple. If we could put up the uh, image of the Temple Mount today, notice, since John prophesied this, there is no temple, but there's the Dome of the Rock, which is Islam's site. Keep that up for a little bit. What happened to the temple? Well, A.D. 66 through A.D. 70 were the Roman-Jewish wars, and there was such visceral hatred between the Romans and, and the Jews that when the Romans were given the order, they completely demolished the temple. This was an incredible ornate structure with marble and gold and cedars. It was absolutely gorgeous. There's some renditions of, of the temple. And the Romans, without caterpillars and earth-moving equipment, were able to completely demolish it, to pillage all the valuable materials, and every stone was, of the building was destroyed. Now, there's one part of this, because this is, this is the Temple Mount. It's a higher elevation. This is Jerusalem, right? Over here is the only part really that's left, and I believe that was the portion where the Wailing Wall is. So there's very little left of artifacts, but every time somebody puts a shovel in the ground, they find proof that the Bible was real, whether it was Hezekiah, whether it was Isaiah. Every time they dig, they find stuff that's been in the ground for thousands of years, and they're like, wow, we know what this is. They read the inscriptions. So I'm, just set, I'm teeing this up for you. I'm setting this up right now. One of the most powerful proof texts of prophecy is this one, that the temple will be rebuilt. Now, if you go on to templeinstitute.org, there's about, very easily, templeinstitute.org, there's about a dozen or more sites that are dedicated to the rebuilding of the temple. They have the plans, they do um, mapping of it, they do the architecture. Temple Institute has all of the priest's, priest's clothing, as the Old Testament said, the furniture, the labor, everything's ready. As soon as it gets built, they're going to move everything into that temple. So it's, at the time of John, until now, it's not there yet. But we're seeing everything move closer and closer to this event happening. I have to introduce you to, because we're going to see this in the next few chapters, is the Antichrist, right? And I, listen, I love debating people. I love, I love criticism because I, I love to work with that, right? Like, redirect it but you all you christians are talking about the antichrist that's so passe that's so old right he's also known as the beast the abomination of desolation he's a very ungodly person who you could say he sells his soul to the devil to get power but so let me for those of you that are skeptics how about if i if i tell you this this person is actually a charismatic globalist now are you paying attention? When you start to look to see what's going on, even in our nation, the erosion of our sovereignty and law, law and order, and you know this is going on all across the world, there is a huge push by forces to get us to become a global um, community. And our amendments are in the way, our sovereignty is in the way, so you can see this, this war, this tug of war happening in, in, our own cult, in our own country. There are billionaires who are very, very, very powerful who live in the United States but have no loyalty to this country. They are global people, right? Now, is globalism a bad thing? Well, idealistically, if you're talking about solving world hunger, it's not bad at all. If you're talking about stopping wars, not bad at all. Unfortunately, if you look at some of these... Um, uh, these committees and organizations that surround the United Nations, there's a lot of money that disappears. We're not solving world hunger. We're not solving the problem with uh, human uh, sex trafficking. Uh, and I'm talking about the global com uh, community. For some, it's just the way to just get more power and more control over the, the, the masses. So you're going to start to see this stuff start to gel. Now, this is interesting because Ezekiel 40, 41, and 42, he speaks after the temple is destroyed as well. That would be the first temple. There were two so far. One was renovated. A third is to come. And Ezekiel gives these measurements of this temple that the second temple didn't fit. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the one that's coming. Ezekiel prophesied like 3,000 years in advance a feat impossible unless God is behind you. 
So Ezekiel 42.20 tells us that there's, there's some sort of structure or a gate or a fence that separates the holy place from the profane. Ezekiel's description of the temple, again, has not happened yet. If we look at this image, this is the Dome of the Rock, which sits, this is an aerial view, obviously, the Dome of the Rock, Islam's site. It's believed that the temple sat somewhat north of the Dome of the Rock, and again, they've done a lot of digging and found artifacts. The Jewish people, or the religious ones, want the temple to sit over where the Holy of Holies sat originally, and they think they figured it out. So if this is, this is actually a tremendous structure. It's hard to see from the picture how big this area is, but you could very easily, politically not easily, but physically, yes, I used to build houses, you could easily put a barrier up and build the temple right here and have a high enough gate where the two worshipers, separate entrances, won't interfere with each other. I couldn't do it. I mean, I think I have a little bit of a silver tongue, but I'm not that good. However, this globalist who comes will be able to do it. He will convince Islam that it can be done, and there's already talk about it. You might say that's impossible. Anything that the Bible has said has always come true. So, Ezekiel describes a temple where there is some sort of separating structure between the outer courts of the temple and what they call the profane place, which would be the Dome of the Rock. Ezekiel 42 and verse 2 here tells us the Gentiles will be in this outer area. Again, what we talked about. In addition to that, this globalist will convince the Jewish people, will lull them into a false sense of security. This is what I believe. And he'll get all Israel's people that hate Israel together, and he'll say to them, stop blowing up buses, stop sending missiles into Israel. Sadly enough, this has been tried before, but we'll, we'll get rid of them once and for all. Remember the Yom Kippur War? I'm not saying anything that's crazy. In the Yom Kippur War, Israel's enemies got together, had a discussion, right? They conspired to kill her, to destroy Israel, not long after it was a nation, by waiting until they were worshiping in Yom Kippur, and then they attacked them. And it did, it did take them by surprise. You've got to read history. I love history. So this is not far-fetched, if you think about the way that it would happen. Measuring. In Zechariah, Jerusalem is measured, right? Zechariah is told to measure Jerusalem. In Ezekiel and John, uh, or John from Revelation, they're commanded to measure the temple, telling us that it's an actual structure. And, and when God says to measure something, he's saying it will be fulfilled, and, and I got this under control. Again, with modern equipment, the temple is what? It's a, an ornate structure, has high ceilings, but only has two rooms. One larger room, one smaller room, which is the Holy of Holies. So, again, from my experience with building houses when I was younger, is this could be done in several weeks, the most a few months, depending on the ornate material of the temple. So, it's, it's quite fascinating. In verse 2, the Gentiles tread the holy city for 42 months or three and a half years. So what do we know? Well, we know, I'm going to say this fast, and then I'm going to slow it down, and then we're going to get into the applications. I have to get this stuff out, because there's a lot of information that the Bible speaks about. Okay. So the last Shabuah in the Hebrew, which is a, a, it's sort of like when we say in English a decade. It means 10, but it's understood as 10 years. The Shabuah in Hebrew was a seven-year period. In Daniel chapter 9, whoa, this goes back hundreds of years before Jesus, he speaks about a time where the Persians would give the command for the Jews to go back and rebuild until, until the Messiah, the prince. So if you, if you don't know, nobody today can claim to be the Messiah because this was a time-sensitive prophecy. So Jesus actually came and presented himself, uh, the triumphal entry, and 69 Shabuas had passed, 69 times 7. To the day. Then there was a pause. This is very important because if you don't study the Bible in context, it becomes a mishmash of confusion. So the 69 weeks from Artaxerxes given the command to let the Jews go back, and every you wonder why the disciples dropped everything, their fishing nets and stuff, to follow Jesus? Because they were good little Jewish boys and they knew the Old Testament prophecies. 
So command to rebuild, right? Send the Jews back under the Persian domination. Um, uh, says of 483 years until the Messiah, right? This is for the Jews because there is no Christians back then. There's another seven-year period over here that hasn't happened yet, which is going to be in our future. Well, what's in the middle? It's the church age, the age of grace. So we're, we're sort of the pause button for 2,000 years. And then when the church is removed via the rapture or the harpazo, whatever you want to call it, that last seven-year period is for the Jews again. They take center stage. So the seven-year period is also divided up in three and a half and three and a half. So the first three and a half is you're going to see the two witnesses. They're going to try to convince Israel's leadership and the observant Jews to not go with this globalist or antichrist because he's deceiving you. There's going to be a competition, but he's going to be so charismatic and he's going to promise them, look, no more buses are getting blown up. And I'm paraphrasing. So there's going to be this competition for the hearts of the leaders of Israel. Unfortunately, they're going to go with the false Messiah. And in that three and a half year period, right in the center, that pinnacle, he's going to break his covenant with them. And unfortunately, he's going to persecute them heavily. And then you have the last three and a half year period. It's, it's, it's very in-depth in and, and detailed. Um, a few things, up, uh, if we could look at this, is that this Antichrist or this charismatic globalist, who I believe is alive today and working his way up the political food chain in the global government, he sold his soul. And uh, does that surprise us that any man or woman, any politician would sell, would ask Satan, listen, I, I just, I want this. I want this power. I don't really care what happens when I die. Is it hard to believe? You see what some of these politicians do, how they don't care for their constituents? It's not hard to believe either. Jesus said in John 5, now this was diachronistically, in other words, through time. So Jesus is talking to the leadership in the first century, and he's trying to tell them that they're missing the boat on the Messiah because of their pride and what they want to see out of the Messiah. And he speaks diachronistically, even up until today and to the future, to these leaders and saying to them, I come in the Father's name, but one will come in his own name, and him you'll follow, but you didn't follow me. There's a lot in that. It's very loaded. Uh, Matthew 24, 15, Jesus speaks about when this abomination of desolation will not only go into the temple where the Holy of Holies is, where only God is supposed to be, he's going to go in there and he's going to want to be worshipped as God. So not only is he, is he a false messiah, but now he's going to set up himself as a false god. Again, do people today, is this hard to believe? You ever see, watch TV, some of these famous people, they think that they're gods. I am God. Shirley MacLaine and many others say, I am God. Well, good luck with that one. You hope you repent before you breathe your last. But Second uh, Thessalonians 2.4, it's this whole thing about how he's going to do this. Here's another thing. Look at, look at geopolitics. We're going to be talking about geopolitics. I don't mean Republican and Democrat. I mean geopolitics global politics. Look at the United Nations. Look at how they vote. Look at the Security Council. I watch this stuff. It's painstaking. I'd rather stick needles in my eyes than watch some of these meetings and debates. But it's my job, right? Name me one serious globalist who doesn't see Israel as a problem. You see this all the time, this anti-Semitism in the UN. That's just, it just happens. So it's, again, it's, it's already set up. You know, somebody sends a rocket into Israel and blows up, uh, um, uh, I don't know, somewhere near uh, homes and settlements. Israel retaliates. Who's the bad guy? Israel. You see this all the time. Not far-fetched. I say that we need to know our Bibles. Because this, now, now let's, let's switch gears here. So, because you might say, well, what's the parallel here? Verse 3, says, I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, which is three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. So two out of five is God's two witnesses. Who are they? What's their purpose? There's a lot of speculation. Now, I don't want to get caught up in the weeds of the speculation, but let's go through a little bit of it. Um, some people say it's Moses, Elijah. Some people say it's Moses and Enoch. There's different reasons why people 
people feel the way they do. Moses and Elijah represented the law and the prophets. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was transfigured and you could see his deity coming out of him, the disciples were up there uh, on the mount, um, Moses and Elijah appeared and they were talking with Jesus. So, you know, they, that's what they kind of think. Enoch was taken up while he was still alive, so there's some speculation there. I don't want to get into what, what I think. It's probably Moses and Elijah, but I'm not married to that. Um, I'm married to Heather. I'm not married to that, you know. <laughs> but the point is that, uh, you know, th- this is what's, what's happening. There's a, there's a big picture here. Again, they're trying to sway the heart of the people, saying, listen, we're really from God. This guy's not. And you saw this with Moses when he went to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's Egyptians, uh, Pharaoh's, um, his magicians could do certain thing. And then, you know, Moses showed that he was more powerful. But let's look at this. They prophesied 1,260 days or three and a half years. That keeps coming up. It's this, it's half of this last seven-year period. B, they prophesy in sackcloth. This is a horrible time. And that these two witnesses are trying to get the people to seek repentance. Remember I went through... August, let's see, when was it? August 9th, I believe. I did a sermon and I talked about uh, 30 things that our culture is involved in that's clearly evil, that's slowly crept up on us between watching things on television, between laws that are passed, between um, just even symbolisms and, and the open worship of Satan, Satanist things. So I, I gave 30 examples of how our culture has really started to rot. And, you know, you like the frog in, in the boiling water. You don't, you don't really notice it until, you know, it slowly turns up to heat and then it's boiling. Then you're like, well, it's too late now. So these two witnesses are going to be trying to get people attention, people's attention to get them to repent. Okay? They are two olive trees and two lampstands. Continual empowerment by the Holy Spirit. We saw this in Zechariah 4. Um, Joshua and Zerubbabel were the two, you know, Zechariah sees this in his vision. Uh, there are two olive trees, and then there's pipes coming out of it in the prophecy that it's collected, I guess the, the oil, the olive oil. And that was always a picture of the Holy Spirit. And God was trying to assure his people who were trying to serve him, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So we always have to keep that in mind, that it's the Lord who's going to empower anyone to do anything when, when we, we serve him. And then also fire proceeds from their mouths. Now, in Second Kings 1, you know, Elijah did certain things. He was able to call fire down from heaven. He was able to pray and there would be a drought. Um, James 5 talks about this as well. There's a lot to this. I want to direct your attention, and this really makes sense of it all. And I know there's a lot, a lot of information. Luke 9, uh, 54 through 56 Because the apostles, the disciples, knew the Old Testament, right? So here they're in a situation where Samaria rejects Christ. And they remember Elijah. They remember reading about Elijah. So, well, in verse 53, it says, They did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Sad ethnic tensions caused some people not to believe. Isn't that sad how... You see that today, right? Everything's racial, everything's, you know, gender. You know, we're being divided by things we can't change, and that's sad. And it's happening in our culture, and it's, it's destructive, right? So there was this issue between the Samaritans and the, you know, and those of Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, now they're speaking to Jesus, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? He turned and rebuked them. Jesus turns to his disciples, sons of thunder, and rebukes them. And he says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now you're going to say to me, Pastor Joe, you just painted yourself into a corner. This is inconsistent. And this is the problem when we don't know our Bibles, because we don't, if we don't study it in context, it's not going to make any sense. So you just read something where Jesus said this isn't good, but you just read something in Revelation says that they're going to consume them with fire. Let's go back to the, to the illustration. Different dispensations. I've been having some really interesting discussions about reading the Bible in context. Different dispensations. God has different ideas and sets of rules depending on where we are in time for a reason, right? So when Jesus comes, 
and he sheds his blood so that we could have life for the remission of our sins, we don't need a temple. We don't need sacrifices. We don't need that stuff. Well, is there inconsistency? No, there's not. Jesus fulfilled that. So let's go back to the 69 Shabuah, the 483 years that the Jews are, you know, it's their thing. It's, there's no such thing as a Christian. This is B.C., right? And even before that, we, we, you know, we, we hear about Elijah and, and the prophets and calling fire down from heaven. Now we're in the age of grace. And the disciples are like, hey, I remember what happened back there. Can we call fire down on these Samaritans? Because we feel really jilted. And Jesus is like, no, shut it down. You don't know what manner of spirit you are. This is a different age. It's the age of grace. People are getting saved. We need to love our enemies, right? When the church error runs out, when the church is raptured, bingo, we go back. Not we. We won't be here. If you've trusted in Christ, you don't have to be here through. This is horrible. There's that one last seven-year period where the pause of the church age is now removed, and this gets married to this, and now we're back to being, fire being called down from heaven because it's a different dispensation. Makes sense? And I always tell people, you have to study the Bible in context. This is why, and I, I have to scratch my head, um, in, in other religions, some cults, Jesus, they, they take out a context where Jesus says, he's trying to witness to somebody. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And they go, see, Jesus wasn't God. That's because they took that out of context. Jesus was trying to pull the man in and to try to explain him, why are you calling me good? You know, there is a connection between between uh, Christ and God. He's fully God and he's fully man. He's trying to open the man's eyes. But the cults will take that and say, look, Jesus wasn't God. He said it himself. If you show me all the scripture where Jesus defers to the Father and I show you all the scriptures where Jesus claims to be God, either the Bible is inconsistent or he's both. Because our, our finite brains can't understand it doesn't mean it's not real. So it's, it, this is heavy stuff, right? Uh, anyway, verse 7. He says, Now when they finish their testimony, the beast, Antichrist, charismatic globalist, that ascends out of the bottomless pit, remember, he and Satan are now one and the same. He has totally given him up, just like... So look at the parallel. As Christians, hopefully, we've totally given ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, right? So nothing weird here. There's two forces. One is evil. One is good. You choose which door you want to walk through. And don't say, I'm just sitting on the sidelines, because that decision will be made for you. You know, there is no, there's no neutrality. There's no Switzerland in a spiritual war. You're either on one side or the other. So he has completely given himself up to this evil. Like people are today, nothing unusual. There's a, a church of Satan, and I told you it was 2019. I looked it up. The IRS gave them tax-exempt status because they call themselves a church. But you're the church of Satan. But whatever. You know, this is where we're going in this, in this world, in this country. So when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit makes war against them, overcomes them, and kills them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of that great city, great doesn't always mean good, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on their earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. So three out of five is the witnesses die, Right? Verse 8, that city. Unfortunately, a city can change. So if, and, and a city, it's not a person. It's an inanimate object. Jerusalem, at the height of King Josiah's reforms, was wonderful. At the height of David um, honoring God and bringing people towards God was good. Unfortunately, at this time in the earth's future, it's not good. It is not good. Because the people are not all in for the Lord, they're being deceived by this false messiah. Do we see false messiahs? We've seen them in our own country. Remember David Koresh? Remember, do you see this all the time? Nothing unusual about this. John said there are many antichrists who have come into the world. However, there's going to be one who's going to be the pinnacle. 
right? So he says spiritually there is as Sodom in Egypt, Jerusalem is at this time. Sodom had multiple types of immorality. It was worldly. Um, and it, it, it passes up Jesus and holds out for the false Messiah because they're told what they want to hear. And I would say this too, folks. Um, and people get upset with me when I say this. You're like, you're shooting within the tent. You ever hear that expression? Cultural Christianity can be just as damaging to a witness as, as anything else in the world. Cultural Christianity. You know, it's almost like you trade one lifestyle for the other. Cultural Christianity does not save. Christ saves. And we have to remember that. We're not saved by denomination. We're not saved by Calvary Chapel. We're saved by Christ. This place could disappear and you still walk with the Lord. So... Ancient Egypt, he speaks about Egypt. Egypt was a picture of power and pride. Israel loses her way again. She totally lacks discernment and goes in the wrong direction. And verse 10, it almost becomes a celebration that these witnesses were killed. Remember, these two witnesses of God. They were powerful, they did miracles, but everyone is happy that they're gone. Well, not everyone, because we'll see that some in the end give glory to God. Is it, is it shocking? Do we see things, and I'm not just picking on one particular incident, whether, you know, now we're seeing all these videos in, in cities and, and rioting, and it's, it's mob mentality. There's actually a psychological um, ex- explanation for how rational, even law-abiding people, if they get into a large group, and someone starts to do the wrong thing, they'll go along with it. It's called mob mentality. There's different expressions for it. Uh, the stuff that's going on in our country is horrible. Innocent people being beat up and shot and dragged from their cars. And, and what's the response? In every one of these videos, what do you see? The camera phones. Well, maybe st- that guy's getting his head bashed in, you know? Maybe stop it. Hey, everybody's got a camera phone. They're putting it up on their social media walls. They're laughing about it. It's almost so... Uh, 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 are we, is this far-fetched? Are we not there yet? Sure we are as a culture. The Prince of Peace is gone. And he's being pushed further and further every year. Okay? Uh, so, there's, so there's nothing unusual about this, um, even in the media. You know, 2020, I look at, is the year of the brainwashing. We should be in our Bibles. We should be in prayer. How do I feel about this? Oh, let me turn on the TV. Oh, I'm terrified. Was that the response that God's looking for? How do I feel about that? I'm angry. Is that the response that God wants? And what do we do is we turn on the TV to find out how, and I hear, hear people see this, say this, well, I don't know how to feel about this. Well, let me turn on the TV and see what happens. When I was a kid, there was bumper stickers and it read, kill your TV. <laughs> so certainly now more than ever. Because the prophets, they were, these people were rejoicing because the prophets, they felt their words were tormenting them. Today, moral laws, laws and preachers in some churches are looked at as tormentors. I mean, I spoke out uh, when this, and, and uh, to this day, this, this happened like five, six years ago, when they were um, ramping up the, you know, the you know, partial birth abortions and even when they're all these horrible things and they were selling their tissue they're still doing it probably to laboratories well what do you think that does it drives up the you want to drive up the supply it's all economics and that's something that the nazis did that it's being perfected in this country like was the outrage but christians speak out against this they vote against it they they write to their um their legislators and stuff uh so People do look at people look at what I'm saying right now is irritating. Maybe a few people have turned off the TV at this point. I don't know. I'm just telling you what the scripture says, and the scripture's always been right. Um, Jesus said in the parable of the landowner how God sent His prophets, and then He sent His Son, and the the uh, those that were working in the field murdered them. They rejoiced over the death of good people. Read about uh, the voice of the martyrs, how Christians were murdered over the years. And the society thought it was a good idea. Let me just throw three things at you really quick as we start to wind it down. For the skeptic, in 1947, 
Christians knew that Israel would eventually become a nation, and they didn't know how to express that to maybe the people they were witnessing it to. Um, very clear, very distinct. Right after the Holocaust, who could ever think that Israel would become a nation? In 1948, Israel became a nation. Bible's always right. B, no way the temple will be rebuilt. Well, I'm going to tell you something. It's, it's moving quickly. Go on some of these websites. They are ready. Um, C, all the world sees this at the same time. Ah, Christians, for 2,000 years, before the 20th century in satellite technology, they said, the earth is round. How could everybody see this event at the same time? Satellite technology came around, and now they can. We're seeing things that have taken place in the last 60 or 70 years that is making the Bible become more alive because these things are being fulfilled. I mean, you could almost imagine this event happening, and there's, you know, these two witnesses are standing, these prophets are standing in the way of progress, and then they finally are able to be killed. And you could almost see somebody go on TV and say, hey, this is Jake Tapper reporting from CNN. Those who are standing in the way of global progress have finally been eliminated. Yay! Everybody's excited, right? You can see it. But we need to know what we're talking about here. Verse 11, continuing on. I, this, is, this is heavily cerebral. Uh, now, after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, so they're resurrected, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 men were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming. So four out of five is their mission is fulfilled, they're uh, resurrected, and that's it. It's, it's done. They go up to heaven. I can almost see in this situation that God is trying to, and I've talked about this before. You know, we're in the age of grace, and, and it's sad that, you know, I don't know, maybe with, with a lot of the things that are going on this year that more people are coming to the Lord. I certainly hope so. Sometimes when times are really good, um, very few people come to the Lord because there's so much relying on the things of this world. Their bank accounts, their promotions, their this, that, and the other thing, and they're just so busy. And then COVID hit, and then the, the unrest hit, and a lot of people now are searching for answers. The answers are in the Scripture. Because if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you're not wavering based on what's, what, you know, I see all these memes about what's going to happen next in 2020. You're not, does, sure, yeah, I have concerns too, but it's not taking us off our foundation because the answers are here. But I could almost see the Lord trying to squeeze out as much juice as possible from the fruit before it completely rots. And I've talked about the carrot and the stick. God will use grace. Sometimes he'll use things such as this to get people's attention. But, but what I love about this is that you see, I believe, you see repentance here. That people see this, they, they look, listen, you, we have kids, right? You, you have kids, you got little kids, and, and, you, and you, in your quiet time you might say, do I really want to raise my kids in this world, in this culture? What if it doesn't get better? These are, these are frightening things. 2 Peter 3.9, it says that God's desire is that all would repent and be saved. And sometimes we question his methods. But the truth is, right in the middle of Revelation, we're halfway through the book, and there's people who are giving glory to God. And maybe if everything was perfect, and they lived their whole lives, and then they died, and then they faced judgment, and that's sad. But this was a wake-up call to them. You know, when you go out there and you talk to people about the Lord, and, I, and as a new Christian, I used to get offended when I was mocked. Now I don't, it doesn't bother me at all. Because actually, I, I'm not even mad at the person. Um, I grieve that they think it's funny or they think it's ridiculous or it just, honestly, it hurts my heart. And I think that's the point where we need to get to, not to be offended. God doesn't need us to go defending him. We should be spreading the message of, of listen, time is short. And you don't want to go through this, you know, and you don't have to go through this. But you do have to turn to the Lord. Repent, scary word from a street preacher in Manhattan. Repent just means change. If a self-directed life, like me for many years, 
cross. Hmm. Interesting. Maybe I want a little, learn a little bit more about that. That's repentance. Repent and be saved. Verse 15, last few verses. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Remember, this is prophecy. Even in this time period, it hasn't happened yet. You're still seeing things go on on the earth. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged. And that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints. And those who fear your name, small and great. And should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven. Right? We saw the, the temple on earth, which God's presence wasn't there. Because of the dark times that were going on. But now you see in the heavenly scene, the temple of God in heaven is open and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake and great hail. So five out of five is the seventh trumpet. The angel is revealing a truth that has taken place in heaven. And, and I got to tell you, I'm, I'm going to show a short clip after this. Some of this stuff, I got to tell you, some of these chapters are heavy. Some denominations just refuse to teach it because it might turn people off. It's the word of God. We need to know this stuff. Uh, so I'm trying to give you a mix of is, yeah, this is a dark time, but it's like God is, he can't allow mankind self-rule anymore. It's too destructive. Um, I think about, I have a good life, right? I think I do, but I don't, what about people who are in sex trafficked? What about people who are in poverty? For those people, I'm glad that the Lord's going to come soon because he's going he's to stop that. Horrible things happen, and, and most of the, the world community just looks the other way. They don't see it, or they don't want to see it. So I'm, I'm hoping for God's kingdom to come soon. All the horrible things that human beings do to each other. I saw a meme once. <laughs> I'm 50. I'm going to be 53. I'm saying meme. I have to laugh at all this new stuff that the young people are into. Um, but I'm, getting, I'm getting it a little bit. And, and there's, uh, there's Jesus sitting on a park bench and a, a young guy, right, and, you know, with a suit and whatever. And he's sitting next to him and he says to Jesus, well, why co- how come there's so much poverty and hatred and, and, and this and that? And he's saying to Jesus and Jesus turns to him and goes, I was going to ask you the same question. The Lord gave us this world to tend, and we mess it up as sinful flesh, and then we blame God. That is the most insane projection I've ever seen. Well, how come? Well, how come? Because this is mankind's self-rule. So you should be with me saying, you know, or other believers saying, Lord, come, Jesus. When Jesus comes, it's not going to be poverty. It's not going to be hate. It's not going to be racism. There's not going to be oppression. There's not going to be hunger none of this stuff's going to exist so i'm i'm looking forward to it you got to balance it out here all right seventh trumpet the the uh, elders the angels uh, espouse a truth the elders are speaking about respond with thanksgiving praise victory justice and judgment before it's uh, fulfilled verse 18 the nations that are angry with god but god is angry with the nations yeah that's an interesting thing when the Lord comes and he stops the wars, when we look about the, the millennial kingdom, you think a lot of the nations are going to be happy with that? Of course not. War is big business. A lot of people make a lot of money off of war, and they still do. You know? So the nations are angry with God, but God's going to show them their self-delusion. Oh, are you kidding me? I guess when, you become, when you're in a position of power and authority, your, your mind changes. Look at all these, some of these leaders. They just think they're gods, and they, it's weird. August 9th was the message I talked about, in, about the justice boomerang. Everyone's calling for justice now. You know, i got to be honest with you, as a Christian, I, I want to see God's will get done, but I don't want to see somebody get theirs because I know what I was saved from. As Christians, we should be preaching mercy and, and desiring people to come to the cross. Remember, God's justice is going to happen. But we, we talk sometimes as if we know what justice looks like and how we would implement it. I want to see God's justice implemented. I don't want to put my... Remember David when he had to be punished? God gave him three choices. 
he said, Lord, whatever you, you do, because God, some of the choices were war and, and other countries coming in. And David basically said, I'll paraphrase, I don't want to put my hand, my fate in another man, whether he's going to show me mercy or not. God, I'd rather you, you do what you have to do, and, and I accept it because I know you're fair. Very important stuff. Uh, last, last point, verse 19, the temple and the ark. Remember, in Hebrews, all the stuff that Moses had the blueprints for it's so cool god and moses are talking and, and god gives moses blueprints for the tabernacle and the temple and everything made sense but hebrews tells us that everything that's made on earth is a copy in heaven sadly enough in this third temple there is no god it's just a building it's dead religionism and we see dead religionism today don't we churches that talk about politics and all kinds of other stuff and the bible's never opened you know, Jesus Christ is deity. None of that stuff is there. Dead religionism. So there'll be a time where that temple will be rebuilt, but sadly, God will not be in it. However, at the end of the, the chapter, where we pan up to the heaven and we see God is there. And the, you know, the, 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 the ark and all that had to do with, this is God is so concerned about people. The ark of the covenant has everything to do. When I was a kid, I watched that um, Indiana Jones. Who saw that when you were young, right? The Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was kind of cool. They, I, they must have read the Bible in some, some respects. But um, that whole thing and people like, where's the ark? And they get crazy over this stuff. But the ark was just a temporary structure of a system where people's sins were atoned for until Jesus came. The beauty of the ark is Jesus fulfilling it. And sometimes as Christians, we're so caught up in the weeds and the particulars that we miss the big picture. It's Jesus. He died for our sins. So I'm going to do now is I'm going to show a quick video. It's artist's uh, interpretation. I just love the series, The Chosen, of when Jesus was on the earth and in the age of grace and how everything started, how he was trying to get people to, to come to him and follow him. Um, this is not God's desire, but this has to happen. But let's look at this in light of the age of grace that we live in, and let's check out the video. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. Your word. Oh, my God. 
from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, how sorry. <laughs> Lift up your head, fisherman. Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. as well. Yes, you, James and John. Come, follow me. I'll take the fish into market and settle up Simon's death. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> You've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. So, remember the pause. That was, for those of you that don't know, that was the miraculous catch of fish. I love, I love the guy who plays Peter. He's, he's awesome. Um, but that time period where Jesus asked people to follow him, we're still in that time period. I know 2,000 years have passed, but to God, it's like a blink of an eye. So I want to encourage you. Nobody has to go through... We're supposed to know it. God warns us. Nobody has to go through this time of calamity. We are still in that age of grace. So I want to encourage you that if you don't know Jesus Christ, that you would come to him, that he's still calling people. Join us. Join the few that are, you know, as Christians on the earth who desire to see more people get into the kingdom of heaven, just like that catch of fish. Jesus said to Peter, you'll now become fishers of men. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.